0: I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 15 and I know that we took a couple weeks there as a break off the book of Genesis but we are back tonight on the book of Genesis chapter 15 and we're going to finish this chapter and go into chapter 16 as well tonight but we're looking here at the life of Abram and Sarai. And how God not only gives promises, but he also reaffirms them. And what the Lord is teaching Abram and Sarai is to wait on the promises of God. That God will reaffirm his promise, and then God will amplify his promise with his word. He will confirm it again. He will remind you of his word. He will have you hold on to nothing but a promise. And that's what the Lord does because once he gives us his word, it is his desire that we hold on to his word and that our faith grows in his promises, that our faith grows, our trust grows as we wait on him. And it says there in chapter 15 of verse 1, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid. Abram, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What's the message here? He's saying, Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your protection. And then I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your provision. God is reminding Abram. And God is speaking into his doubts. God is speaking to his fears with a promise. And here is Abram's deliverance specifically from his fear. And God is saying, I am your protection and I am your provision. It seems that oftentimes those are the two things that we worry about in life, whether we have safety, security, or provision. And here what the Lord is telling Abram, don't be afraid. I am going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. You don't need the world's rewards. You don't need the the world's success. You don't need the territory or the land or to be afraid of the enemy. I am setting you up as you walk In obedience to my word. And those are the benefits of walking in the will of God. Notice, those are the benefits of walking by faith that that God speaks into our lives in the moment of fear, in the moment of doubt, not understanding, Lord, what are you doing next? And we begin to doubt. And in that moment of weakness, what does God do? I am your shield. I'm going to protect you on your way to that next place. Well, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do after we stepped out in faith. Will you continue to provide? And then God reminds you, I'm your exceedingly great reward. Now, where does the blessing come in this? How was it that this was used in Abram's life to grow him? Well, there in verse 6, where we ended two weeks ago, it says, and he believed in the Lord. There is Abram growing in his faith. This is where he trusts in what God has said. And Abram trusted what God had said. And Abram believed in the Lord. Notice, where was his faith in? In the Lord. Where was his trust in? In the Lord. It wasn't in the circumstance. It wasn't in the season. It wasn't into the enemies that were coming against him. It says that he believed in the Lord. He had faith in the Lord. And because he believed in the Lord, notice it says, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Righteousness. Because he believed, God accounted his faith or accounted it to him. He was given it to his account as righteousness. What does that mean? He was declared right before God because he believed in the Lord. And there is a very important verse that we looked at two weeks ago, verse 6, where we learn that doctrine of justification by faith. There, justification by faith. What does that mean? That we are accounted righteous unto God by our faith, by believing. We are not right with God by our works, by the things that we do, by our performance. We are right with God by believing in the Lord, by believing in Christ Jesus, by putting our faith and our trust in Him, by depending upon Him. That is what makes us right with Him. In fact, Romans chapter 4 speaks about this and it says it this way who contrary to hope, Romans 4.18, in hope believed. He had no reason to believe that he would have a son. But notice, Abram believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. He became a father according to what God had told him already. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body already dead since he was a 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he didn't consider his own age or the condition of his wife to bear children as an obstacle, and he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he strengthened himself in faith, giving God the glory. What, does, what gives God the glory in your life when you strengthen yourself in faith? It, what gives God the glory is when we say, Lord, I understand that things are not going favorably in my way, but I trust in you regardless of the circumstance." And it tells us this in Romans chapter 4, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. What was uh, Abram here displaying? That he believed that God was able to do what he had promised. It didn't matter his age. It didn't matter his wife's age, Sarah. He trusted that God was able to perform what he had promised. He was fully convinced. He wasn't doubting. He wasn't wavering. He wasn't saying, well, Lord, I know you said this, but are you truly going to do it? Oftentimes, the Lord calls us to do a a certain work or to step out in faith. And once we step out, then we begin to doubt on God's timing or performance or fulfillment of that promise. Well, Abram was an example that he strengthened himself, and he was waiting on the Lord. And therefore, it says, Romans 4.22, it was accounted to him for righteousness he was declared right before God because he believed that it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us to those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. What does this teach us? Verse 6 of Genesis chapter 15, that we have been declared right before God because we have faith in him. Our faith saves us. It's not our faith plus our works. It's only our faith. And then what happens after our faith? Our faith is followed by our works. And we have a faith that works. That's what it means there, to have a faith that works. James speaks about this as well when talking about our works, that our our faith uh, should be displayed by a life of works, a life by obedience, he says it in James chapter 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abram believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Why? Because he believed in God. He trusted in God. That is exactly what God expects from us, that we would trust Him. Not that we would doubt in Him, not that we would waver or that we would become afraid or discouraged, but that we would trust in Him, that our eyes would be fixed on Christ and trust Him, that we would believe. That is the greatest work. In fact, Jesus said it in John six twenty eight. He said, and He said to them, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? They asked Jesus, what, what is it that we need to do to be saved? What works do we need to do? What are the works of God? What, what do we need to, to prove ourselves that we're good before God, that we're right before God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him who sent me. What is the work of god that we would believe that is what god is asking that we would trust him that we would believe so here we find in chapter 15 and 16 a test which is teaching abram to learn to trust in god's promises to trust in god's power to trust in god's plan how about that to trust in god's provision as he's growing as a man of faith and today even for yourself, as you're waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promise for your life, notice what he desires, that you would trust in his plan. Oftentimes, we want the Lord to do it and fulfill his promise according to our plan. But that's not walking by faith. God is saying, trust me, believe in me, walk with me, trust in my plan, trust in my power, trust in my provision, trust in my promises, because he is the one that's leading the way. And notice there in verse 7 of chapter 15, it says, Then he said to him, God said to Abram, I am the Lord. Amen. He's giving him confidence. And he's speaking to him. Here, Abram is learning to be a student of the voice of God. Tonight, you, as you open the Bible, learn and grow to be a student of the voice of God. Because here he's telling them, I am the Lord, I am your master. This is the relationship that the Lord had with Abram. He says, I am master over your life. Just remember that. I am master over your life. Trust me, I am he, notice, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. He's reminding them, I am the one that's doing this. I brought you out. I am giving you this land. Now, why is he telling him this? Why is he reminding him, I am the Lord? Because we have to be reminded oftentimes that he is the Lord and it's his plan and we are to submit to his plan. And he's saying, submit to my plan. I brought you out from where you were to give you this land so that you would possess it. Now, what do we see here in verse 7? That this is a work of the Lord in the life of Abram. This was not something that, that Abram composed upon himself. This wasn't something that he made up. This was God being control over his life. And he's saying, I am the Lord. This is the hand of God. This could not have been manufactured or explained by Abram himself. There was nothing that he could have done to be at the place that he was. And he was learning to grow in that faith. And notice what, how he responds, Abram, in verse 8 to Verse 11. And he says here, and he said, Lord God, or sovereign God, you that you're in control. And he asked that question that all of us ask so often. Notice the question, how? <laughs> Has God ever told you, this is what I'm going to do in your, in, my, in your life? And what do we, first thing we say, Lord, how are you going to do it? This seems like you can't do that, God, in my life. I mean, I've seen you do it in someone else's life, but my life, how? <laughs> how will you do it? And Abram here is learning to, to trust in what God is saying, to be sensitive to God's voice. You see, that's how we're led from one step of faith to the other, by listening to what God is saying next. Whenever you're afraid, whenever you're doubting, whenever you're fearful, notice, whenever you don't know what to do, just do the last thing God told you. Continue to step in obedience to his voice, to his word. And he says, oh, sovereign Lord, how can this be? How is it that this is going to happen here? How shall I know that I will inherit it? Lord, would you give me a sign? Would you give me assurance of this promise? Would you give me some proof that I'm truly going to possess this land? So notice what the Lord does for him. He meets Abram right where he is at. God is so faithful that when we're doubting, what is he saying? Okay, let me meet you in your moment of weakness and let me strengthen your faith. This is what we need to learn to do to strengthen our faith in the Lord. To run to him, not run to anyone else. Not to ask so many people when it's time to take a step of faith. Not to make an announcement. But to go to the throne of grace and say, Lord, how are you going to do this? Because I'm here and I'm ready to follow. So the Lord answers here in verse 9. He said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He says, bring me an offering. Why? Because contracts on that day, during that time, were made through sacrifice. Specifically through cutting animals. And they would cut these animals and then they would separate their bodies, these animal parts. And the two people that were under these contracts or covenant agreements, they would walk through these animals. Now, and the the contract, the covenant would be sealed with blood. And what they would do is that they would now uh, rehearse or repeat the covenant that they were a part of. And they would do the same one for the other. And if they failed to keep the covenant, what they were saying is that they deserved the same fate as those animals. So what happens here, notice, is that he now is coming into a covenant contract with the Lord here. The Lord is saying, bring the animal, separate the animal. We're going to make a pact right here. We're going to make a contract. We're going to enter into this covenant together. And in verse 10, it says, Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle. And he placed each feet opposite of the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. What happens here? He's receiving assurance. Of this promise in a dream and a dream takes place here in his life and it was a dark dream but God demonstrates the terms of the covenant through this dream and notice what the, the terms are as he fell asleep he discovered God's plan in detail it said a horror fell upon him this was something difficult for him to receive it was a darkness that fell upon Abram And then he said to Abram in this dream, notice how God was speaking to him in this dream in regards to how he would inherit this promise. He said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. Speaking of the nation of Israel, he's telling them, the nation of Israel, your descendants, generations after you, they're going to be strangers in a land that's not theirs, And they're going to serve that land. They're going to be afflicted. For 400 years, they're going to be in bondage and oppressed as slaves. Verse 14, And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. Notice, he would judge that nation, and they would be delivered. We see that later in Exodus. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions, or God would deliver them with great wealth. And he would punish the nation that would enslave him. This now involved a time period, 400 years, and a territory was involved here in the unfolding plan of God for the nation of Israel. Why was this important? Because it was assuring Abram that his descendants would be in the land that God was promising him. Although it would be painful because they would detour into Egypt for 400 years, and it would delay the fulfillment until long after Abram died, the promise would be fulfilled. Notice verse 15, as it continues. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, or you will die. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. It's not time yet. But four generations after your death, they will return and inhabit this land that I'm giving you. First, they will detour into Egypt, be in bondage for 400 years. I will punish Egypt. I will deliver them with great wealth. Notice how God is giving him the plan as to what he's about to do. And then in verse 17, it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. It said that as he was sleeping, as the sun went down, that there was there a smoking oven or there a burning torch that passed between those pieces. It was as a smoking fire. And every time you see in the Old Testament that smoking fire or a burning fire, what does it symbolize? The presence of the Lord. You see the pillar of a fire by night that was symbolizing the presence of the Lord? Or the burning bush that God spoke to Moses? Well, you see here the presence of God manifested as a smoking Torch that walks through or goes through now the pieces of the sacrifice. It was the glory of the Lord there. He spoke about the judgment that would take place in the nation of Israel, and then the glory of the Lord comes to seal that covenant. Now, notice what happens. God waited for Abram to fall asleep, and then he performed this unilateral covenant with him. This means that it wasn't both of them walking through the pieces of this sacrifice to confirm and to seal this covenant. No, the covenant was made by God for Abram. It was based off of who God is. These promises were not based on on what Abram was, on what Abram was about to do, what he would accomplish. This covenant was based completely on God. And it could not fail, notice, because God does not fail in his word. And you see exactly what the Lord is doing. He's saying, I'm going to put you to sleep. And then I'm going to confirm my own covenant with my presence, with my glory through the fire to remind you that this promise is based off who I am, not based off anything that has to do with you, Abram. It has to do with my goodness. It has to do with my character. It has to do with my mercy. It is my plan for your life. Not based on Abram's goodness, but based on the goodness of the Lord. Now notice verse 18. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, this was the promise there, to your descendants I have given the land from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates. Again, he reminds him, to your descendants I have given him this promise. I have given this land from, and I have done this to the great river of Euphrates. Now notice those words there, in verse 18, I have given. What was it? It was the Lord doing it. And Abram now had a responsibility to do one thing, obey. After God has spoken, you know what our response should be? Obedience. This is what the Lord was doing. I'm going to give you all this territory. Verse 19, the Kenites, the kenizzites the Camerites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Reaphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, And the Jebusites, he's saying, I am going to give you all of this territory. Now, notice in the same sense, as we look at this example of God making and walking through the, now, pieces of this sacrifice. In the New Testament, we would see that same picture, that the Father would walk through the broken body and blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to establish a covenant with us. And God has signed that covenant through the sacrifice of his son. How do we enter into that covenant? By faith in God. By faith in his son. And this is exactly here what Abram is learning. Depend on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Don't try to manufacture a plan. Don't get too worried and anxious where you think that you need to be in control. You see, that's the biggest problem oftentimes when God calls us out to take a step of faith. That we say, all right, Lord, we'll take the first step of faith, and then when we see the Lord having us wait, we'll say, all right, Lord, well, we'll take it from here. We know what to do now. <laughs> and you know what God says? No, I want you to wait for Me to do everything. <laughs> Don't have the fingerprints of man upon what God wants to do. Let the Lord take all the glory. And notice what He He learns this because in chapter sixteen, who do we see here? We see God showing up as the God. Who sees? Would you remember that tonight? The God who sees. Here we're going to learn the character of God as the God who sees, El Roy. The God who sees. And and what happens here in chapter 16 is that here again we're reminded that God's delays are not God's denials. Maybe God's called you and he's told you, hey, this is what I'm going to do in your, your life. And I promised you that I will do this. I will fulfill this, but you must wait on my timing. Learn this, understand this, remember this. We must not ever think that God moves at any other timing but His own. So don't become impatient. Don't say, well, I'm going to help God right now, or I I want to take a few steps on my own to get this process started a little bit. You know what happens? There's consequences when we become impulsive. There are certain consequences the sin of being impatient you know what that's called disobedience <laughs> we're to wait on the timing of god and he's teaching him abram i'm omnipotent i'm all powerful he, he, he is having him wait until it was humanly impossible think about this for him or his wife to have children before he would fulfill the promise so that god alone can take the glory god does that for us he, has his way to the very last moment. And then you know what he says? Okay, I'm going to show up now. (laughs) So they know without a doubt that it was a God thing. That's exactly what God does for us. He'll put us in a situation, have a sway, and then he'll answer the prayer so that we learn this was a God thing. And notice what we can do. We can give God the glory. What is it that allows us to inherit promises? Faith, number one, and patience. Patience. Do you trust God? Do you trust this plan? Yes, I do. Okay. Your faith will be demonstrated as you're willing to wait. You can't truly say that you trust God if you're not willing to wait on Him. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, notice what the apostle would say there, Hebrews 6 12, that you do not become sluggish. Don't become weary or sloppy there. But imitate those that through faith and patience inherit promises here is the lesson faith and patience inherit promises and it's a good lesson for us to learn as God's people that walking by faith means that we're waiting for God to fulfill his promises notice this his way God's going to do it but he's going to do it his way He, he, he does not owe us an explanation He doesn't have to do it our way. He has his own ways of doing things. And it is very dangerous for us to depend upon our own wisdom to try to fulfill God's promises or to painfully detour because we want things to get done right now. We start choosing for ourselves, our own timing. We start choosing for ourselves, our own way, our own plan, our own expectation. You know what our expectation should be? The Lord, that's it. Wait on the Lord. Don't take detours outside of his plan because you want to fulfill his promises. When you disobey him, you know what it is? A detour even when God is working in your life. And many times we take detours that take us longer to arrive where God wants us to be instead of just waiting on him. So notice there in verse 1, they are waiting. (laughs) What happens to Sarah and Abram? They're waiting. Maybe today, right now, you are there, like, like verse 1, waiting. And I pray that you would wait and not try to scheme. Because they go from waiting to scheming. Notice verse 1, it says this, Now Sarah and Abram's wife had bore him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. What happens here as they're waiting? They're waiting for God's timing. And Sarah had no children. She was waiting for the promise of the father of many nations. She's waiting for the promise of descendants, of multiplication, of generations. But it also says she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. As they went through Egypt, notice what they left with. They left with a servant. And when they came out of Egypt, they left with this servant named Hagar. And it says that as they were waiting, verse one, notice what happens very quickly Sarai starts. Scheming. Now, it's been said before, faith is living without scheming. That we're not scheming. We're not trying to make our own plan, our own ways. We're not trying to manipulate things to turn out uh, our own way or our own benefit. So it says there in verse 2 So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. And notice, she understands here now. She says, it's the Lord that has not allowed me. She, the Lord has restrained me from having children. She knew it was God's sovereign hand upon the womb. This is God who is over all things. You can just imagine the pain in the words of Sarah here. Of thinking maybe my prayers are not being answered. Or blaming God for this problem and this pain. As she's waiting on the Lord. You, you see a frustration here. It said in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Oftentimes, when we are waiting on a promise, we become so anxious that we become discouraged. When the desire, it says, has fully come, it's a tree of life. When we receive the promise, we're refreshed. It's life giving. Here, she's frustrated. And as she's frustrated, she makes a decision. And notice what she tells her husband, Abram, please. Go unto my maid, Hagar. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. I want you to go and have sexual relations with my servants. That she would, on on my behalf, have my children. And and notice here in verse 2 what happens. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. You know, this is the first. He he had no problem listening to his wife here. You know what, honey? If that's what you want me to do, I'll do that. And you see here that he's learning these important lessons. Because Sarah, what she's doing here is that she's becoming patient. And she wants to fulfill God's promises, notice, in her own strength. Very dangerous. She wants to fulfill God's promises in her own effort or in her own wisdom. Instead of waiting for God's, here it is, perfect plan, perfect timing. God's perfect plan for your life, you know what it has? A perfect timing. Don't step out of that plan. Because you want things right now. I can't wait any longer. I'm tired of waiting. I need it today. You know how many people have gone into wrong relationships because they did that? Entered into the wrong job. Moved into the wrong place. Because they said, I need it right now. And you become so anxious that I want God's fulfillment to happen right now. And here, Abram obediently agreed to his wife instead of walking with her by faith, trusting in the Lord's timing. You know what they're acting here? They're acting according to unbelief. Anytime that you do something premature, notice what you're doing. You're acting according to unbelief. You're saying, Lord, I don't really trust you. <laughs> you're saying, Lord, I can't wait any longer. They're looking at the situation and they're saying, this is impossible that this would happen now. And and yes, with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And God has the perfect way of doing things. So they become anxious, she specifically, and she gets ahead of God. The only thing worse than getting ahead of yourself is trying to get ahead of God. (laughs) Here she is trying to get ahead of God. And what they're saying, notice, with God out of the equation, how can we solve this? That's what they're saying. Since God is not doing something, how can we solve this? He's out of the equation. Notice this, God is never out of the equation. You would think, well, I'm getting too old. God is never out of the equation. I've been waiting for five years, six years, ten years. God is never out of the equation. We as men and women of God today, if you're submitted to God's Word, we should walk by faith and not in unbelief. What does that mean? That when we wait, we wait patiently trusting the Lord. We're not upset. I can't believe I'm still waiting. <laughs> I can't believe the Lord hasn't done this. And, and miserable. You know, you know what? It, the, the, there is so much joy to wait in the will of God because you know you're in his perfect will. You have nothing to be ashamed about. You have nothing to be discouraged about. You are waiting in God's will. There is nothing discouraging about being in the perfect will of God. We must walk by faith, being mindful of heavenly things, not earthly things. So they take matters into their own hands. Notice what happens here. They're manufacturing, they're they're fabricating. Notice what they're doing here. They're forcing things. Have you ever had to force something to happen? Be very careful. You know what that's called? A work of the flesh. Trying to fulfill God's promises in the flesh. Very dangerous. Because you know what the result is? What the product of that is? A work of the flesh. We should never try to fulfill God's promises for our lives in disobedience. We should never try to inherit God's promises for our lives in sin. We should wait on God's timing. Because notice here, he has his own schedule. He has his own agenda. He has his perfect timetable for your life. And would you note this tonight? A willingness to wait on the Lord is an evidence that you're walking by faith. Remember that tonight. A willingness to say, I'm going to wait on the Lord, is an evidence that you're truly walking by faith. Because you're not in a rush. You're not in a hurry. You're not choosing second best. You're saying, Lord, I want to be in your perfect will. You're not hurried. Why? Because you trust and believe in God. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Would you remember this tonight? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily whoever believes will not act hastily you know that when we stop trusting in god we start to make now haste moves that you're in a rush we start to to make now haste moves in the wrong direction and you know what you become you become ashamed Because you made the wrong move, and then you say, Lord, how can I get out of this? Well, the Lord never told you to be there to begin with. But walking by faith is an evidence that you're acting also, notice this, in the authority of the Word of God. You're saying, God's Word has authority over my life. It's not my emotions that have the authority. God's Word has the authority in my life because I'm walking by faith. There's a willingness... And there's a recognition that the Word of God has authority over your life. Romans 10, 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. I am willing to wait because God's Word has the authority over my life. When you rush, when you act hastily, you will end up in sin. You will end up in disobedience. Because you were motivated by something other than the authority of the Word of God. But notice what also happens. You're willing to wait. You recognize that the Word of God is the authority over your life. And when you act by faith according to the authority of the Word of God, notice what happens in your life. You have joy and you have peace in your life waiting. Two things. You have joy and you have peace. You're not anxious. You're not saying, Lord, I'm tired of this season. Lord, you you have to give it to me now. You know what you have? Joy and peace because you're walking by faith. A willingness, a recognition that God's word is the authority. And number three, you have joy and peace. Write this verse down today. It's going to bring you peace as you read this. Romans 15, 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. In believing, notice, walking by faith. May he fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would weigh in hope in expectancy, trusting God, hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is going to happen? You're going to be filled with joy and with peace. Now, there are four things that are evidences of true biblical faith that I want to give them to you before we go to the next verse. Number one, if you're walking by true biblical faith, walking by faith and not by sight, number one, you would be concerned only for the glory of God. You'd be concerned for the glory. You're not concerned for your own feelings or what you want or your timetable. If you're walking by faith, notice, you will be concerned for the glory of God. You're not saying, I want this now for myself. You know one of the words, even during Christmas, where we say Jesus is the reason for the season? You know one of the attitudes that most people oftentimes Demonstrate, and the words that oftentimes we say the most during this time, I, me, what am I getting? What do I want? Are they going to give me that? When am I going to get it? All attitudes that demonstrate a selfish nature instead of a selflessness that wants to glorify God. If you're walking by faith, you're going to seek only one thing, the glory of God. If you're walking by faith number two you will be willing to wait remember that if you're walking by faith you will be willing to wait you'll say lord i'll wait for your timing number three you will obey god's word why because it has authority over your life faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of god number four you will have joy and you will have peace now there was an increase to their faith and patience Of Abram and Sarai, even during this time. What was God looking to do? To build godly character. James chapter 1, that's exactly what James says. When you're going through trials, when you're going through tests, know what God does. He is building godly character. So verse 3, notice here, it says, Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Here is 10 years. The Lord said, I want you to look as far as you can. 10 years living there. You're going to be a father of many nations. Abram, would you look up? Can you count the stars? They're innumerable. Well, that's how your descendants are going to be. And now 10 years living off those words, and nothing's happened. The only thing that's happened is that he and his wife have become older. (laughs) 10 years living in the land, and he's waiting. He's waiting. You know what we need to have? Endurance to wait on God. Patience to wait on God. So it says there in verse four, so he went into Hagar and she conceived. She became pregnant. He went and he did what his wife wanted him to do, producing results in the flesh instead of in the spirit. Producing results in the flesh instead of in the spirit. Now notice, doing things in the flesh they may produce results, but you will be sorry you got them. Doing things in the flesh, you may produce, you may get some results. You may say, well, look what's happening because everything I'm doing. But if it's not done by the Spirit, you will regret it. In John 6, 63, Jesus said, it's the Spirit who gives life. Let the Spirit do it. Let it be very clear. This was a work of God. You don't have to manufacture, you don't have to force anything. Notice, it is the Spirit who gives life, Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. If if God is not doing it, why would you want to be a part of it? If you have to force it, then then why would you want to be a part of it? If it's only to cater to your flesh and to your desires, and it's out of God's perfect will and timing, then, then do not do it. It's been said before, whatever man or woman attempts to do, Without God, there will be a a miserable failure, or even more, a miserable success. Just think about that. Trying to do things without God. This is the fruit of impatience in the things of God. Trying to do things without God. What do they do? They start scheming, waiting, scheming. But notice in verse 4, the second half, they start fighting. This is the result of doing things in the flesh. You start to fight. <laughs> it doesn't work. You try to force something. It, 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 the consequences of scheming in verse 4. Notice what happens here. And that she, when she had conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived her mistress, became despised in her eyes. So what happened to Hagar? She became proud now. Saying, look it, I. I was able to bear children, and Sarai, my master's wife, was not. So they start to fight. She starts to despise or disrespect Sarai, treat her with contempt or mistreated, thought of herself more highly. And pride became the problem here. There's, there's fighting now out of scheming. And it's so interesting what happens in verse 5 here. It, every time I read verse 5, it, it really just gets to me. Because Sarai says this now, Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. If you read it in a different translation, you know what she's saying? This is your fault, Abram. Have you ever done something and your wife told you to do it, right? And then after you did it, she she blamed you for it when it went wrong? This is what's happening here. The untamed tongue. (laughs) She only did what she asked him to do. And then she said, notice, look what you've done now, Abram. I can't believe you did that. And she was so disappointed here. And she's saying there in verse 5, notice this, I gave you my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes, the Lord judged between you and me. Notice what she's saying, the Lord will tell you who's wrong. Am I wrong or are you wrong? The Lord will declare who's guilty. She tells Abram, you're responsible for this. Notice they're at war with one another because they had been at war with the Lord. They're fighting because they're fighting against God's will. They're fighting against God's timing, against God's perfect plan. We should be very careful that we don't try to orchestrate something in the flesh that could only happen in the spirit. Don't force it. Don't force open doors. Here you saw the wife trying to take control. Sarah trying to take the control. And the husband, Abram, not leading spiritually. When things get out of order in the home, in the marriage, you know what you can expect? Spiritual disasters. Out of the will of God. You know what he should have acted? He should have acted like a spiritual leader. Reminding his wife that God was able to perform what he had promised. He he should have said, you don't have to do that. If God said it, he's going to do it. But here he's growing. Abram as a man of faith. There's a double-mindedness that's happening here. And this double-mindedness that you you go from one thing to another, uh, not truly trusting in God, but then wavering. This wavering is always a serious threat to your spiritual growth. Because one moment you're trusting in the Lord, the next moment you're scheming. You can't grow that way. What did Paul tell the church of Galatians? When they were beginning to go back into legalism and into works. You know what he tells them? Galatians 3.3, 3, a very heavy verse. He says, are you so foolish? What are you doing? You're, you're foolish. Having begun in the spirit, now you think you could be made perfect in the flesh? Why is it that if you started it by the spirit, if God did it so beautifully by the spirit, now you want to force things. Now you want to put the fingerprints of man all over it. God doesn't get the glory that way. And notice in verse 6 what happens. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. There again, he failed. What a sad attitude. He surrendered his headship to Sarai. And he allowed her to do it. To do what? To mistreat. Now, Hagar. He said, Do whatever you want. He was guilty too. He failed as the head of his home, he was neglecting his responsibilities to lead spiritually. And he says, all right, well, you deal with Hagar however you want. She's your servant. Instead of saying no, we're, he's stepping in to lead spiritually the home. And notice what takes place there in verse 6. Do to her as you please. Do whatever you want. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So what happens? That Sarai began to treat her harshly. He mistreated her under Abram's watch. Well, you would say, well, you know what? Abram didn't do it. It was his wife that was mistreating the other woman. But Yes, but Abram knew about it. Abram knew how his wife was mistreating the servant, and he did nothing about it. Be careful that you take a step back as a man, and, and don't step in when your wife needs the spiritual support that comes from a leader that you're called to be in the home. This was happening under Abram's watch. And he, she treated her harshly, so she finally ran away. He, she pushed her away. How many of us know that we don't get rid of our problems by running away? <laughs> she didn't. She had to, Hagar had to meet the Lord herself personally. But these are the consequences of taking matters into your own hands. What happens when you take matters into your own hands? You're not waiting. You don't want to do things right. You don't want to have integrity. You don't want to trust the Lord. The consequences of taking matters into your own hands, pay attention to this tonight, is that other people will get hurt. Who gets hurt here? Hagar. Did she have to get hurt? No, she didn't. But you know why she got hurt? The worst thing is when other people get hurt because you're acting like a fool. That other people get hurt in the ministry because you're acting in the flesh. Humble yourself and wait on the Lord. James chapter four tells us, you know why battles happen between believers? Because we allow ourselves to be overcome by the flesh, the world, and the devil. Here, Hagar was hurt because of the irresponsibility, the carnality in Sarai and Abram. But how many of us know that when when we don't allow God to rule in our lives, you know what he'll do? He'll overrule still. You may say, well, I'm going to do things my way. It's my way or the highway. God says, well, no, let me remind you, I'm still in control. You're not in control. There was waiting. There was scheming. There was fighting. But then there was submitting. Notice verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. I love this there. The Lord met her in the wilderness. The Lord met her right where she was. She was. This is God's faithfulness. He meets us right where we are. In the wilderness there, where we're hurt. Oftentimes we find ourselves abandoned and hurt and pushed away and rejected and lonely. But God meets us in the wilderness. He found her there. He meets you right where you are. And notice what the angel of the Lord says here now. By the spring of the way of sure." And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, this is a very important question. Would you underline this in your Bible? Where have you come from and where are you going? (laughs) This is how God speaks to us oftentimes. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? (laughs) When we think about this, as the Lord would ask us this, it should keep us from trouble when we answer that question. You try to step out of God's will, I'm going to do this on my own. Wait, wait, where are you coming from? (laughs) Where are you going? Are you doing something on your own now? you think that you can do things on your own and succeed? You're going to fail miserably because you're striving. Don't strive here. And notice what she's saying. I'm running away. (laughs) I'm running away. God had called her to be at a certain place, and she was now running away when it became hard. Even when it was hurtful. It says, notice this. She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarah and the angel of the Lord said to her, "Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand." Pfft, heavy. <laughs> I want you to go back, and I want you to do one thing: submit. Go back, submit. Submit under her hand, under her authority. I want you to receive this word: return and submit. Even when it's now. Notice, even when you are being hurt even when you're being mistreated. But this is the word of the Lord. Notice the the protection that he's about to give her. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you want. Return and one word. Submit. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants there exceedingly, so they shall not be counted for multitude. What is he saying? I will give you more descendants than you can count. I will multiply you exceedingly. God's blessing in submission. God is saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you there where I've called you to submit. Go back and stay there. And we would say, Well, Lord, I don't want to stay there. Do you see how they talk to me? You see how they treat me I and mean, they don't value me. They don't appreciate me. But God is saying, go back. Submit, and I'll bless you. there. Don't gripe. Don't kick. Don't say. Don't complain. Just go back and submit. And notice what I'll do. I will bless you because you'll be in my perfect will. You know what the Lord is telling her? I have a plan for your life. Hagar, let's move forward. Obey me, and I will protect you. Obey me, and I will bless you. This is God's love for the unlikely here. Notice how God is reminding Hagar who is omnipotent, who is all-powerful, who is sovereign. Verse 10, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Think about this history here. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. You know what the word Ishmael means, that name? It means God hears. Why are you going to call him Ishmael? Why is it that, that here the Lord is giving her a message, and then the message here starts with a name. God gave here the name to her son because God had a plan. God gives a name because God has a plan. And he said, it's going to be Ishmael because God is hearing your affliction. God hears your cry of distress. Ishmael means the Lord who hears. In the wilderness, when you're crying in your affliction, remember this today. The Lord hears. (laughs) Right now, are you crying in affliction? Are you in the wilderness? Do you feel alone saying, I rejected, alone, misunderstood, hurt by other people? The Lord hears. And in this name of her son, she would never forget how God heard her cry of affliction. How God hears the cry of hurting people. This is amazing. God's faithfulness. Verse 12. He shall be a a wild man. (laughs) And his hand shall be against every man. He's going to have problems. He's going to be a fighter. And every man's hand against him. He will be in constant conflict. He's going to be an untamed as a... As a wild donkey, it would say in some translation, or reckless, rebellious against everyone. And everyone will raise their fist against him. In fact, it continues. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. What does this mean? He will live in open hostility against all of his family relatives. What conflict are we introduced to here in Ishmael? The conflict between the Arab people and the Jewish people, who both came from the same father, Abram. <laughs> but it became a conflict. It became a problem to, to, to this day. Because at one moment, Abram and Sarah decided that they wanted to work out God's problems or God's plan in carnality, in carnality. Do you see here what happens when you walk in carnality instead of in the Spirit? There's, there's long-term consequences. In verse 13, it says, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. This is amazing. Ishmael means the Lord hears, but then she responded because the Lord hears. Notice, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? I've seen him here, his faithfulness in the wilderness, he who sees me. You know what God is telling you right now? I, I see you. The God who sees. What is that name? The Hebrew name El Roy. El Roy. And she's referring to him as El Roy, the God who sees me, has truly, he, the one, has seen me. And notice how she calls this well. Therefore, the well was called, that spring well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Observe it between Kadesh and Berid. What is it called here? A spring that declares that the Lord is the one who sees. When you see this, you see God's faithfulness. You to see God's handiwork. This is a work of God, not a work of man. This is not fabricated. And it says in verse 15, So Hagar bore Abram a son. She went back. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore in Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Notice what happens here. She went back, she trusted God to work out his plan for her good and for his glory. I want to ask you tonight, are you willing to wait for God? Are you willing to submit to God, to work out his plan in your life for your good, not for your own good, notice, and for his glory? Now notice this, in in your affliction today, God hears and God sees Elroy. Tonight, I want you to know that God hears. He hears your cry of affliction. God hears you. God hears you in that wilderness season, and notice, he also sees you. What did Hagar think? She thought that she needed new circumstances. She thought her problem was that she needed new circumstances. But you know what she needed? She needed transformation. She needed the Lord to transform her heart. And that's exactly why we must be victorious in that same way when we know it's not a change of climate or environment that we need. But you know what it is? It's a change of heart. Sometimes we think, well, I need a change of environment. I need a change of of climate. And the Lord's saying, no, I need you to change your heart. (laughs) And the only way that happens is if you submit to the Lord. You know, today we have even more of a clear promise than Hagar did that day. Because we have the promise that God told us, that he tells us in his word, in Matthew 28, 20, the last recorded words of Christ in the Bible, in that great commission, beautiful words, he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God hears and God sees. If you have to submit in difficult circumstances, God sees. If you have to submit when people are mistreating you, God sees. God sees. If you're aching under the pain of even ministry or, or other people that are around you, notice God sees. If you feel like running away, God sees. If God has met you, He has sent Jesus near, and we know him as Emmanuel who gives us hope. He is the Lord who hears, and He is the Lord who sees. Amen. Let's pray.